Good app. Yeah, there's a lot of work we put into being normal. Uh, sometimes we change our haircut. We realize that we're a decade behind. Uh, sometimes we change our clothing styles, but I want to encourage you with that from experience. Save the old style because it's just a matter of decades and it's back in style. And then when it comes back in style, it's worth about ten times as much as you paid for it the first time. You know, uh, Levi 501s would have been really valuable. I had a really nice jean jacket, but, you know, I got rid of it. You know, the fact is, sometimes we think, well, I'm different. I'm one of those people that I don't like to be normal because I don't like to fit in. You know, and the fact is, you're just normal in a different bunch. You didn't originate that idea. There's a lot of people like you out there. And you're trying to fit in with that crowd. I'm the rebellious person. I don't like authority. Yeah, you're just fitting in with a different crowd. You're just, your definition of normal is just different. You know, the fact is, we all identify with somebody. And what this app does is it actually focuses our perception of what normal really is. Because if you came this morning hoping that what this app is going to do for you is make you normal from society's standards, then don't buy this app. Actually, it's free. But, you know, don't load it on your phone. Don't load it into your heart because that's not what we're going to talk about this morning. Because the goal is not to use the Bible to figure out how you're going to fit in with society. Because that's not what our goal is. We're not trying to be normal from Santa Clarita's definition. We're trying to figure out what normal is from God's perspective and then live according to His Word. And that's what we're going to talk about. First point is normal is obedient. Go to 1 John chapter 2. You know that word obedient. You know, you didn't hear everybody go, yeah, obedient. Yes, I'm glad he started with that. Yeah, you know, obey. You know, it's just not that kind of word. You don't hear that and go, oh, I'm so inspired by this point. I'm totally locked in on this sermon, obedience. And yet really our reluctance to even go there reflects the influence of the society we live in. We live in a society that really has very limited respect for authority. It's not honored anymore. Not enough. You know, you you hear that word and you just kind of cringe, and yet, really, it's a good thing. Like, if you're a parent, don't you love it when your children obey? I mean, do you really want to have, like, a legal five-point discussion every time you say something like, please clean your room? You do not think, oh, obedience is overrated, it's outdated, and now that we live in a modern world, my child shouldn't be required to obey. You go, no, 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 my kids should obey because I'm the dad. Now, you know, as they grow up in their teens, then it's a different kind of relationship and you're not being as authoritative, but you're more influencing the way that you would with one of your adult friends. It's different. It's a different kind. 
But you understand the point. If you're a business owner and you have policies, you love it when your employees obey the policies. You love it when you're driving down the road and other traffic obeys the law because it makes you feel safer. Like I can have confidence they're not going to cross that painted line simply because that's a law. Not because they couldn't just drive over there if they wanted, but it gives you security. But when it comes to our own life, the world's influenced us to somehow think that obedience is negative, that somehow obedience is robotic. That, that to be an obedient Christian means you take your brain and you just throw it out the window. You don't have a mind of your own and you just kind of do what everyone says to do. No, obedience is far more than that. In fact, obedience takes your brain fully engaged. That as a Christian, we obey because our brain has decided that that is the best life to live. And so I choose to be obedient. And so it's really no surprise when we get to 1 John 2. What John says here, starting in verse 3 through 6, by the way, you know, 1 John, one of the little ones at the end, not the big gospel. So in verse 3 it says, We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in, it, in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. That's one of the most simplest definitions of Christianity right there. You claim to be a Christian, you must live the way Jesus did. And yet so often the, the simple explanation escapes our grasp. We want something higher level, something more, you know, theological, something more philosophical, something that sounds more exciting and extravagant. And John just says, hey, you want to you say that you're a Christian? you got to live the way Jesus did. you got to imitate Him. you got to make the decisions He would. you got to have those values. You've got to be like Him. We're not trying to become like each other. We're trying to become like... One person, Jesus. That's what our goal is. It's what it means to be a Christian, to be a follower. But is, is obedience on your heart? You know, sometimes we look at it like, you know, eating at a deli. We're going through the line, and we're picking and choosing what we like. And so there are some verses in the Bible we go, I love that one. Oh, yes, I will obey that one. Ah, this one over here, not so much. Yeah, that's a good verse, but no, I just don't like that flavor. You know what? We can't pick and choose what we obey. God's word is all true. And as a Christian, we must imitate the way Jesus lived. You know, the fact about, about obedience is it's, it's very straightforward. Here's the Bible says. Is that what you're doing? Is that how you're living? Is it a foundational item? Can you say, I do what I do because here's what the Bible teaches? 
or is it a feeling? Do you find yourself defending your life based upon feelings? Well, I know this, but I feel good about how I live. And I feel good about my decision. That's not an obedient lifestyle. It says, anyone claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus looked at a group of people that were calling him Lord. And in verse 46, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? See, Jesus says there's a big difference between verbal lordship and lifestyle lordship. He says that, that the lordship of the true Christian is the same on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday as it is on Sunday morning when you're sitting in a church service. That it's not just like highlight moments of the week, but it is a full-on lifestyle. And he says, what? It would be abnormal to call me Lord and not obey. He says, it's normal. If you're going to call me Lord, do what I say. He said, I'll show you what uh, he is like, who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck the house, but could not shake it because it was well built. The one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. So Jesus says, you know, for the person that hears the words and put it into practice for the obedient life, it's a life that stands through the struggles and storms and torrents of life. A disobedient life will look good until the storms come. Yeah, life is really shown for what it is when the challenges hit. Anybody can live a good life when everything's good. But if your spouse mistreats you, if your boss was unfair, if your teacher gave you a bad grade, if you don't feel good, you know, you go through hard times, that's where your Christianity is really shown for what it is. And Jesus says for the obedient heart, oh, the, the house will last through the storms. But he says for people that just say the words but don't live it out, they're not putting into practice the Word of God. When the storm comes, they're in big trouble. It is normal to be obedient. Obedient to God and His Word. And I challenge you this morning, if that's not been a goal of your life, make it one right now. Let's say, what's the standard? The Word of God. No man's opinion, no man's feelings. The Word of God. It's that straightforward. You know what else is normal? Well, we've got obedience. You know what else is normal in God's eyes? To be mistreated because of your faith. In John chapter 15, Jesus is teaching to his disciples. You know, and this is such an important concept to understand because all of us want to be liked. 
There's not any of us that wake up and go, my goal is to be disliked by as many possible people. And, and we can get our, our, our thinking messed up because we even uh, can go live life and think, well, what's the majority of people feel good about? And so if the majority feels good about it, then that must be right. Or what's the majority of the Christian world believed to be true? If the majority believes it, it must be right. What's the root of that? That somehow... The greatest number of people agreeing defines truth. And so if we pick a belief, if we pick a lifestyle and somebody doesn't like it, the first thing we can think is, what's wrong with me? What did I do wrong? Maybe I'm following the wrong thing. Maybe, maybe I, I sinned in this situation. Now, you can make somebody mad because you sinned. That's a different sermon, and we're not talking about that this morning. But Jesus wanted his disciples to understand this very clearly. In John 15, and verse 18, he said, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Jesus said, listen, you've got to remember. You know, what, what, what's normal? We're being obedient. We're living the way Jesus lived. How did the world feel about Jesus? They hated him. And he was perfect. He never sinned one time. There was not a single flaw in his character, in his life. He never made one bad decision. And they crucified him. As disciples of Jesus, when we stand for what is right, it will be hated by the world. The world will think it's weird. Yeah, I was proud of Robbie and Angie. They're pure in their dating relationship. First time they kissed was right there at the wedding. You know what you'll hear from the world? No, you got to live together first. It's kind of like test driving a car. You want to kind of find out how it's going to go. Yeah, how's the statistics on the success rate? not good the world will tell you oh it's fine because if you love each other you're married in god's eyes now if you're not married in the eyes of the laws and the land that god instituted you're not married in god's eyes now the world looks at the at the christian standard of, of purity is weird, unnormal, unnecessary. And they'll try and get you to buy into things like, listen, I mean, you've you got to be able to know the person that you're getting married to. You know what cultures have the greatest success rate of, of marriage, historically? Those that have arranged marriages. 
That's a fact. They don't go on dates. Ever. Mom and dad make decision with other mom and dad. And they say, here you go. Uh-huh. Now, you know, I'm not, not, you know, big believer in arranged marriages, although it's, you know, it's worked fine for centuries. I think going on dates is a good idea. But, you know what, you're not going to find out everything. You know what marriage is about? Commitment and love, sacrifice, forgiveness. I don't care how long you know each other. As soon as you get married, it's different. And a little free advice here. A ring on a finger doesn't change anybody's heart. Just throw that in for free. So anyway, back to what we're talking about. The world got sidetracked there. Do that sometimes. You know, come back. The world looks at the Christian life as weird. The world looks at, at true Christianity. What, you meet on Tuesdays for midweek? Why? You only need to go on Sunday. Because sometimes you don't really even need to go. Just watch something on TV. It's fine. What about that family group meeting? What about that devotional? Well, says you don't need to do that. You know what? God says... Listen, we're not, we're not trying to blend into the world. We're trying to live out Christianity. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus puts it a different way. He says in verse 22, Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. And then down in verse 26, he says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets says, you want to be liked by everybody? Only the false prophets were liked by everybody. Let me tell you something. It is the hardest thing in the world to do. It is to pursue a course of righteousness when the men and women that matter most to you disagree with the choice that you're making. I remember my time as a college student making my decision and hearing things from my family. You're wasting your life. You're throwing it away. Everything that matters, you're throwing it away. Everything our family stands for, you're ignoring. Why do you hate us? You don't care about us anymore. All you care about is that church.
till they met Cheryl. Then they probably thought it, but they're like, oh, we're fired up as girlfriends, so we don't want to mess it up. But you know what? It's hard. It's hard to make a decision to be persecuted by a coach, a boss, a coworker, a teacher, a professor, a neighbor, family member. But sometimes it's not even what they say. It's what they don't say. It's the looks. You know, it's the, hey, what are you doing? Oh, hey, I'm, I'm going to church. Oh. You know, we know what that means. Oh. You know. You know, why is, why is Jesus say this message again and again and again? Because it's so deep in the heart of every man and woman to want to be liked to want to be popular, to want to fit in with the majority, to not stand out and be, be weird. There is nothing normal about Christianity in the society we live. There's nothing normal about it. But we got to understand, hey, when persecution happens, because 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It is a promise. It's not a maybe or an if. It says if you're living a godly life, you're going to get some flack. You're going to have some opposition. But let me tell you this. Persecution is always for the church. You know, sometimes you go, oh, gosh, if, you know, if there's persecution, then people may not want to come to church. no. It's never for that. You know what persecution is for? It's to try and get the disciple to stop doing what he's doing. It's trying to get the disciple to stop saying what he's saying. It's trying to get the disciple to stop living how he's living. You say, what about you? Is there any areas that you shrunk back, that you've grown silent, that you've given up because you didn't want to deal with opposition? And you start trying to figure out ways to fudge your Christianity and compromise your commitment. You know, I call that the chameleon Christian. Oh, they're a full committed Christian on Sunday morning. But at work or at school or wherever, they blend right on into their surroundings. Do you ever think Jesus would have blended in anywhere? Like, you just don't read the Bible and think, yeah, you know, he just fit in. They always knew which one he was. He was impacting, changing lives. There was nothing normal about him. And if we understand that, it helps us to keep a right perspective. Remember what this app is about. We hit the button on the app and we go, oh, okay, yeah, persecution is normal. But see, too often what we think is, oh, being liked is what's normal. And somebody's upset with me, so I must have done something wrong. No. Normal is to be opposed by the world. It's not going to be popular. It's not the majority opinion. But it's what God is fired up most about. It says, leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. Final third point. You know what else is normal? This is good news for all of us. To be imperfect. 
He says that's good news because that means we're all eligible. That means your roommates are imperfect, your spouse is imperfect, your kids are imperfect, your parents are imperfect, your minister is very imperfect. Uh, yeah, we're all imperfect. Now, that ought to relieve a lot of pressure. Because don't we get all stressed? Oh, I messed up! Oh, I feel horrible. I am such a failure. No, if you recognize that, good, then you're eligible to be normal in the kingdom of God. Now, sometimes people study the Bible and they start looking at their sin and they go, no, I just can't make the decision to get baptized because of God. I'm not sure if I can live the life perfectly. Well, if you can, you probably wouldn't need to be baptized in the first place because if you could live it perfectly, you wouldn't have sinned in the first place. But we're not, we're not in this audience. Jesus is in heaven. He's the only one. What he says in, in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Halfway through verse 9, he says, Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. And he goes on to talk about that. That's why we need the blood of Jesus. why we need the forgiveness and the mercy that he offered on the cross. Because there's no one righteous, not even one. See, Satan wants us overwhelmed by our failures. He wants us discouraged by our sin. He wants us faithless because of who we are. And yet all God wants us to do is recognize who we are and then go to Him with our need. In John chapter 3, John talks about the, the heart that we need to have. And he makes a comparison in verse 19 through 21. He says, this is the verdict. Light has come to the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. You know, in both cases, these people recognize, I have failed, I have sinned, I have fallen short. But what had Satan's response? Hit it, ran to the darkness, won't come clean, because they don't want to be exposed. Yet to, to live by the truth, to live in the light, what do they do? It says they come into the light. They open up their life and they say, here's where I'm at. Here's who I am. I need Jesus. I need his mercy. I'm so fired up that it's there. Yeah, here's my life. Help me. You know what? Both, both of these people sinned and fell short. Both of these people were imperfect. But only one of the two was willing to acknowledge it. 
tell you what, acknowledging your sin is one of the most uplifting things that you can do. You say, what are you talking about? Like bragging about what you did? No, 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 no. That's not acknowledging your sin. I'm saying talk, talking about what you've done and your need for God and your need for the mercy and the need for the blood of Jesus. Because then, then you quit carrying around the weight of living a lie. Because when, when you run into the darkness and you're lying about who you really are, you just walk out of here carrying around this incredible burden of fear, discouragement. I mean, to acknowledge your sin enables you to go to God for the grace and mercy that we need. We're going to close out in this over in Acts chapter 2. That's why Peter's standing up at the day of Pentecost. you got Jews from all over the world gathered in Jerusalem for this great feast. And Peter stands up and, and, and he tells them who Jesus was. That he resurrected from the dead. That he was the Messiah that David talked about. And he quotes from their scriptures and he says, this is the one. And he says, you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross. They weren't even in the city at the time. But just like you and I, our sin put Jesus on the cross. And listen to their response. It says they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. You go, what a story. You know what's amazing? Is you would think that Peter's sermon would be so powerful. It's just so clear. It's so ironclad. That even when they're convicted of their sin, everybody would respond. I mean, what a sermon that must have been. Now, you know what the Bible says? Only those who accepted his message got baptized. 3,000. Then you go, man, 3,000 is awesome. We don't know how big the audience was. Maybe 10,000. That would mean 7,000 heard an incredible message from the Apostle Peter himself and said, uh, no thanks. No, I like my way. Yeah, yeah, Peter, that really sounds great. And I understand those Messiah passages, and that's awesome. But nah, no baptism for me. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. I feel pretty good about how I'm living. You know, it's such a great victory, but it's also so sad to think that there were people that had the opportunity. They heard the word. They heard that their sin put Jesus on the cross. And they even have been convicted 
but then didn't respond. You know, what's your response going to be? You see, my, my hope and prayer is that all of us leave normal. Not normal in the world's eyes. Not normal in the society's eyes that we go and live our life. But normal in God's eyes. That's what our goal is. We're never going to fit in. But God will be fired up. We've got to be obedient. We've got to cherish obedience in our heart. We've got to wake up every morning intending to obey in every way, shape, or form. All day long, every day, that is our goal. The Word of God. Secondly, we've got to understand it is normal to be persecuted. We will be opposed by the world. Not everybody's going to feel great about the decisions we make or the lifestyle that we have. And the world may think that we're stupid or dumb or weird. Who cares? I'll take God feeling good about me any time. But you know what? When persecution comes, it never feels good. But remember, as Jesus says, it's normal. So rejoice in that day and leap for joy. And finally, hey, it's normal to be imperfect. So he took all the pressure off. We're all eligible. But what's your response going to be? Because we have the ability to hear the message and do absolutely nothing with it. You want to be normal? Hey, the kingdom of God is full of imperfect people. But we see our need for the grace of God. We see our need for his mercy and his salvation. We repent and we get baptized for our sins to be washed away and accept that message. I pray that each one of us will be normal and live life that God has paved for us. Amen. Let's stand as we close in a final song.